0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: i'm sarah and i'm beth we're lawyers mothers and co-host of the podcast pantsuit politics we have more in common than divides us in a world that defaults to false dichotomies we explore the messiness of living wisely the choices trade-offs
2: priorities and grace of living a nuanced life Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Nuanced Life. Before we get into today's conversation, please come over on Friday to Fancy Politics to celebrate our 500th episode of Fancy Politics. We cannot wait to share some memorable moments from our time making podcasts together, certainly The Nuance Life will come up in that conversation. And if you are a fan at all of what we do here, thank you so much. And I think you'll really enjoy what we're putting together to commemorate this time that we've spent thinking about our country and our world. Okay, today on The Nuance Life, sometimes here we are very like philosophical and esoteric and amorphous in our conversations. We're just going to get, like, right into the nuts and bolts of being a human person. Practical. Today. It is it's a, a practical very practical episode. episode. Mm-hmm.
1: So we're going to kick it off with a question from Lauren. Her husband and her had planned a trip to Scotland, got canceled because of COVID, not surprisingly. So the airline gave them a credit. Okay, cool. But when they went to change the flight dates, thinking that maybe they can make the trip in late August, They're trying to charge them an additional $700 per person. She says, this seems unreasonable to me. We'd already paid for a full round trip fare, and the trip was canceled for reasons out of our control. I understand rates can fluctuate seasonally, but this seems extreme. We booked through a third-party service, Travelocity, and they were very unhelpful. Rates are much lower next spring, but I anticipate, hopefully, being very pregnant at the time and having a newborn. I'm not sure what to do. Do we just suck it up and pay the difference or request a refund on our flights and ask the hotels to refund us what they can? I know that everybody's struggling to make ends meet with the loss of revenue from COVID, so I hate to do that. Not to mention that we've paid in full for one hotel already, and I doubt they would refund us the full amount. It seems like we're going to lose money either way. What would you recommend? Should I reach out to the airline directly? What arguments can I use to be persuasive? I know they're legally obligated to refund our tickets if I press the issue. However, it seems it would be more in the interest of the airline to transfer our tickets and waive the 1400 flight price difference versus refunding us the full amount and losing more money on the transaction. My husband is too overwhelmed with school and work to take charge of this. Normally, he'd be on the person with the phone with the airlines negotiating. I'm way out of my comfort zone. Any advice would be helpful. Okay, so we're going to like phone a friend today on The Nuance Life because we also had a trip planned to Europe. We have also had experiences with refunds with regards to both our cruise and flights. My husband, Nicholas, has been on a hero's journey, particularly with the cruise company. And we also had a very similar experience where the, actually the airline says, we'll happily refund you. Oh, we can't because of JustFly.com. And then I called JustFly and they were like, oh, no, we're going to not give you a refund and charge you to take a credit. At which point I had a meltdown. So here I'm going to pass the mic and the earphones over to my husband, Nicholas, to talk about his hero's journey and to give advice to Lauren.
0: Hi, Lauren. (laughs) You're not alone. There are many, many like us. I trust. As Sarah mentioned, we have been attempting to get refunds from both the cruise company as well as the airline for the last about three months. Um, We actually canceled our cruise prior to it being canceled by the cruise company so we're not even entitled to a full refund but we haven't even gotten our partial refund yet
1: how often do you call the cruise company nicholas about
0: every seven days (laughs) because that seems to be you know the only time that makes sense calling more frequently than that i guess what i would first say is you're going to get a new person almost every time you get on the phone with these people have
1: you also gotten a new story every time and
0: you're probably going to get a new story every time keep really good notes about who you talk to i've been okay about this. Get names, keep good notes of when you called them, what they told you. Um, and in terms of what's a good strategy, you know, I've, I wish that I'd landed on the one that had worked so far, but I guess my first recommendation is, and you don't seem like the type of person who would do this, but don't start yelling. Um, <laughs> the person that you're talking to, as you're probably aware, is a customer service rep who has a script or a very limited number of things they can even offer you when you reach a dead end with them, ask for their supervisor, continue to ask for a supervisor, be prepared to wait many, many minutes for that supervisor to arrive and talk to you, and then be prepared to probably get another different story from them, candidly. And I know I'm, I'm painting this as a bit hopeless, but what I've ended up doing in this case, in both of these cases, is ultimately, if you booked with a credit card, sort of escalating it with the credit card company as a, a non-issued refund. And that it has its own difficulties. Um, it's a little bit of a black box. You know, you kind of send off your information, and one day maybe they tell you if you <laughs> if you're going to get your refund or not. But that tends to be the best way, ultimately, if they're standing on their own, the policies or or refusing to issue you a refund, even though they may technically be legally obligated to, is to escalate it with the credit card company, who can who has a lot more ability to just sort of force them to do what I think is the right thing in this case.
1: We have successfully gotten a refund on our credit card statement for the fees the uh, third-party service charged us to give us a credit because that's when I really lost it. You're going to charge me to take a credit for a flight that was canceled. I don't think so. So that's successful, and we're in the next step of the process for the airline tickets um, Mm -hmm. charges.
0: Right. So... You know, I think it's be persistent, uh, be calm if you know what the policy is and you can quote it back to them and show it to them. That certainly helps. Look to the policies. If you can quote them back to them and quote the law to them, that can be helpful. Um, But that really is probably only going to work at the higher levels when you speak to the customer service people. People who are answering the phone as the first line of defense are typically not going to be that familiar with the policies or are going to tell you what they've been told to tell you. And right now it seems like A lot of what they've been told to tell us is you're entitled to a credit, but you're not entitled to a refund. We're not doing refunds for X, Y, Z reason. And then when they finally admit that they're going to give you a refund, they wait and wait and Mm -hmm. wait and wait to actually issue that refund.
1: It'll be seven days. It'll be 30 days. You got it 60 days at one point, didn't you? No, just 30.
0: It was originally 30. Then I was told 60. Then I was told that they don't know why my refund hasn't been issued. And that's what I've been told for the last 27 days. (laughs) So tomorrow, I'm calling back. I have escalated this to the credit card company, but I was told that tomorrow, a frontline customer service rep should be able to process my refund immediately.
1: But they've processed our refund.
0: That is a got to be a lie. But <laughs> I'll try. I'll, um, in any case, so yeah, Lauren, you know we are you're in a boat with a lot of different people. I suspect, as you have noted, that everybody's hurting a little bit. The airlines. Um, um, are probably trying to hold on to as much cash as they can right now, and and you're you're running into a buzzsaw or you're going to run into a buzzsaw saw of of um, pushback. I think, at least initially. So keep the faith, keep good notes, and also because the good notes will also help you with your credit card company. Yeah, you've, you've shown an effort to to resolve this on your own. So good luck with it, and uh, I'll uh, I'll have Sarah update you if uh, we actually do ever get a credit on our credit card company so either. <laughs> Uh, The cruise line, who I'm not going to put on blast here, uh, or the the airline. Just fly. I'll put just
1: fly on blast because I was furious at that interaction.
0: So good luck with it, and Godspeed.
2: Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? Well, that was very exciting to have a guest expert on this question, Sarah. And I have I have emailed Lauren's question to my husband Chad, who is a master at navigating this kind of web. And I anxiously await his reply. And if it comes in during today's episode, I will share it with you. Hopefully it will. Here is a little bit of like more nuanced lifey advice that I would like to add to this situation because I hear in Lauren's message such empathy for industries as they cope with COVID-19. And I think that is very useful if you channel it toward expectation setting. So where you get yourself into a place where you know at the end of this, you might not be neutral, right? You might lose a little bit of money by the end of it. That's really good. Where I think it's not healthy is if you funnel it into responsibility conceptualization, meaning Lauren, you are not responsible for the hotel or the airline's financial condition vis-a-vis your individual reservation. And so I don't want you to feel guilty about making the decision that is most financially responsible for you and your family. Make that decision. Pursue it in the right way. Be kind to everybody in the process. But don't take on your shoulders how this one reservation will impact either the hotel or the airline.
1: We also got an incredibly pragmatic an adorable commemoration from Keaton. She says, I want to send you a commemoration of a small achievement. I am 23 years old and my husband and I recently bought our first home. My husband is a telephone town technician, so COVID-19 has not affected his job. In fact, in the summers, he's out of town most weeks because they have to travel to the cell phone towers that need repair. My job has changed from working from home and we started that about two months ago. All this information to say, I've been in the house with my cat, BB Marie, for a long time. Ryan has been out of town during the week for the last 5 weeks. Typically Ryan mows the grass on Sunday before he heads back out of town, but this last weekend we went to a campground to get some fresh air and it rained all weekend, so when we got home we could he couldn't mow the grass. I have never mowed the grass. Even growing up, my mom, dad, or brother did it. Ryan said he would call one of them and ask them to come over and do it, and this drove me crazy. I'm a very self-sufficient person, and I hate being told I can't do something. I made my dad teach me how to change a tire because I wanted to be able to do it. I made him teach me how to use all the power tools because I never liked asking for help. I guess I just never got around to learning to mow. Well, it rained all this week, and today we finally got some sunshine, so I called my mom. She is the one who typically mowed at our house growing up, and she loves it, and asked if she could come out and teach me how to mow. And I, with her help, got the grass mowed. I know it's not a big, huge achievement, but man, do I feel accomplished. Thank you for giving us this place to commemorate the small things. It's so good. I love it so much.
2: I think it is a big, huge achievement
1: because
2: it is a tangible example of you living your values. You know, if you have this value of self-sufficiency, I want to be able Mm -hmm. to do things on my own. And you are a make it happen kind of person. And then you can see where you are actively doing that. Do you know how many people walk around in this world just to sleep about... Whether they value self-sufficiency or anything else and never translate it into action, uh, the vast majority of the population, this is a very big deal, Keaton, and I'm very proud of you.
1: I also will say, I think that mowing the grass has a reputation for being a quote-unquote male task, but I have so many friends that love to mow, like love it. It's like their favorite chore, and I think maybe like for so long it was... Maybe it was like a secret strategy or conspiracy of men to be like, oh, it's such a hard task. But really, it's like nice. It's like a really good sense of achievement and you get to be outside. So I don't know. I think maybe the ladies should reclaim the mowing.
2: I also think there is just something nice about feeling like you can do something in your house that's a little bit challenging or that's a little bit of a reach for you. You know, I am not a very practically skilled person. I have skills in this world. Most of them are in the realm of like communication, how we use words, how we think about ideas. And so everything that I do with my hands is kind of a stretch for me. I'm trying to learn to knit right now. It's been an absolute cluster, but I'm staying with it. I will get there. I will make it happen. (laughs) Um. But I have really, Sarah and I have talked a lot since um, quarantine started about the Go Clean Co. account on Instagram and learning to clean my house better. It is so satisfying to me that my blinds look amazing and then I figured out how to get these blinds really looking clean, not just not dusty, but actually clean and like shiny sparkly. It brings me a lot of joy. I got a lot of joy because I shared laundry stripping with my mother-in-law And then she was texting me pictures of her laundry stripping yesterday. And I was like, look at me bonding over something practical. This is very exciting. (laughs) I'm going to lean all the way into it.
1: Well, it always reminds me of what my husband says about cooking. That like in his job, it's sort of amorphous. Now, ours is not as much like that because we do two, three episodes a week. And it's like a very sense of like, we did this. But they're also constantly rolling. And he always says about cooking that if your job is like that. And it's sort of, I mean, I guess every job is constantly ongoing. There's something nice about doing something like in a quick way, seeing it come to the fruition and sort of like enjoying the fruits of your labor. And I think so many of those practical household tasks, you get that sense of like, I did it. Like I accomplished it. I mean, the grass grows right back up. I've been knowing the grass the last couple of weeks, but there's just something I think about that sense of accomplishment that's really like cellular, like we need that. We need that sense of I'm contributing. I'm um, doing these sort of really practical household tasks that further my the, the survival of my family, you know, and I not that mowing the grass does, but you know what I mean? Like, I think there's just, we've been doing those things for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We're sort of built to do those daily tasks, seasonal um, pursuits, And I think that's probably why they feel so good. Okay. So I want to
2: park on this seasonality idea for a second, Sarah, because I've been thinking a lot about school starting. We got huge reaction when you ask on Instagram, what are people hearing about school in your community? So I know people's minds are here with me and wondering, like, what should we be learning from COVID-19 and the fact that it's much less risky to do things outside so we should be doing things outside while we can. It brings me back to our conversation with Sarah by the season and how maybe we should be kind of hunkering down a little bit more in winter anyway, especially as you Mm -hmm. think about the disease aspect. I just want to know if you are exploring these thoughts as well and kind of where your mind is. Because I'll be honest, there's a big piece of me that's like, oh my God, get them back to school. (laughs) you know, And especially thinking about how we are so much less affected by not having school than so many other people because of the kinds of jobs we do and the the privileges that we have in life. So I know that getting school started again is really important, but I also think, hmm, should we be rethinking the school calendar in a more
1: seasonally aware way? Oh, I think it should be less seasonally aware. I think school should be year round. I think it's like the, almost the opposite. Now I don't, You know, I don't think it would be bad for it to look different, like for the school day to look and feel different based on the season. But, you know, nobody needs their kids to help with the harvest anymore. So I don't really know why we have this school system or the school calendar the way we do. And if COVID has revealed anything, it's that people can't do their job when their kids are not at school. And there's no really collective acknowledgement that our economy is... Based around working people, usually working families where both people work, and you know, asking people to outlay huge percentages of their income because we all pretend that there's still stay-at-home moms in every household. It's just it's like such a cultural delusion we live under. So I wish it was just year-round school. And I think for this particular moment, I read a really interesting article about the daycares that have stayed open for first-line workers and what we can like learn from them. And they're, because Emily Oster, who's my favorite, um, has been like pulling data on this and looking at this. And they're just, you know, with the right precautions, they're not viral, super spreader hotspots. Like you don't see that anywhere in the world, really. And I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that that we don't quite understand yet. But I think that if we... Like I said, just, you know, do the things that we know work, particularly in situations with kids who don't seem to be affected by it or spreading it at a tremendous rate, then we should be okay.
2: So I agree with you about we don't need people to help with the crop at the rate that we once did that motivated our school calendar. But I was thinking about the colleges that are talking about maybe we start earlier and then maybe we end at Thanksgiving and don't come back until after the new year and how that might make a lot more sense for schools and really the whole world to function where summer is less, okay, let's take a big break, everybody, and more let's dig in a bit or at least have a shorter break in the summer. And then let's really take that time between Thanksgiving and the end of the year when, let's be honest, not a lot gets done anyway, unless you are in very specific industries. And it's really cruel to the people in those industries who are working incredibly hard between Thanksgiving and the end of the year and not able to kind of enjoy the holidays. I don't know. I just want to think about some different ways. I am very... Uninterested in conversations about coronavirus that sound like, how do we get back to? And much more interested in, oh, what do we want to make
1: now? Well, I mean, I think that we could keep kids in school all year round and have some real conversations about what that calendar looks like. I just don't think long breaks at any time of the year are. Reasonable for working families, which most people exist in single families, working families. And so, you know, I, but I, there is a curriculum shift at the end of the year. It's just a testing, which I'm not anxious to pick back up. Right. Totally agree. Um, so, you know, I think it would be interesting to see a school year that is seasonal in that the summer becomes a time of real outdoor biological ecological learning the end of the year becomes a real time of service and volunteerism and um like you could you could really orient that time of the year i think to sort of like the holiday season and not from a faith perspective but just like a like almost like a community service time of year and then you could spend like sort of winter working on math cuz you can't do anything anyway. <laughs> the beginning of the, it's a fresh start. We're starting on the first day, so let's uh think about numbers for a while. Like I would be really I think that would be really interesting and really um a good way to reformat the sort of semester and summer way that we have traditionally done school that I just don't think serves anybody anymore.
2: Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that let's spend more time outside. I think the service focus is good. I think the winter could be a lot about planning, which would encompass a lot of math. But I think, you know, as you consider the new skills that we need in the world as it exists, and you imagine the freedom you would have around curriculum if it weren't all keyed to testing, think of what our students could be learning. I think it could be very exciting.
1: Well, so much for our practical episode. I don't know. Is there anything? And we shifted
2: into seasonal philosophy. But is there anything more practical than school, really? I mean, I have certainly come sure. to embrace the practical importance of everyday life around oriented to school um, in a sense. So hopefully it fits. Thank you all for hanging with us through all of our conversations. We're so glad you're here. Again, join us on Friday on Pantsuit Politics as we celebrate 500 episodes and all of you and this community around our work that we value so much. And until then, keep it new on strong.
1: Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life.
2: Elise Knapp is our managing director.
1: The Nuance Life is listener-supported. Go to patreon.com slash Life.
2: For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the
1: composer and performer of our theme music.
2: Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music.
1: For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.